So I know we've shown this chart the last couple of weeks um, where we've kind of landed. There's multiple ways to interpret, and people have not argued but have disagreed on how to lay out how the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls exist. And I've said more than once that I really feel this bottom chart makes the most sense, um, that it's not a succession of seals and trumpets and bowls, that there's a kind of a continuation within the seventh seal being broken is all of the trumpets and the bowls, that this is one giant cataclysmic judgment being poured out upon the earth. Um, and so, but people disagree on that, and it's okay. That's not, we can disagree on stuff like that, but the other, there's the big stuff, the cross, the resurrection, those things we can't disagree on. And so um, that's kind of where we're at. We're about to break open some more. We're still in the broken open seventh seal, and we're about to blow a couple more trumpets, and that's where we're at today in Revelation chapter 9. So, if you turn to Revelation 9, 1 to 2. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star falling from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from that shaft. So we get quite the, the, the event. That something happened where an angel is given keys to the pits of hell, and that those pits are then opened. And what boils out first is smoke of a great fire, and so much that the sun and air were darkened with this smoke. So this isn't just a tiny little campfire in the backyard, and you made, and it, this is something that's going to have so much coming, bursting forth from it. That it's going to blacken the sky. And of course, since we live in Wyoming, everyone thinks, well, it's a Yellowstone supervolcano and it's all going to, maybe, but I don't think that under Yellowstone, I don't think that's the gateway to hell. Um, but maybe it is, I don't think so. But there's something happens in this event that we need to kind of focus in on a couple things. Number one, there's the fifth angel blows his trumpet and, the, and John sees a star falling from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So this star, fallen from heaven to earth, is a he. And this he was given the keys to the shaft of the bottomless pit, given the keys to hell. So a couple things here. Who is this fallen person that has the keys to the pits of hell? Satan? Like, my, that's my best church lady impression from you, Saturday, my people. I can't do it. I'm not, I wasn't, I tried to find a clip, but it was just going to be cheesy, so I didn't do it. Now, what we have here is, I, I, there's a couple things we need to point out. Number one, this is a fallen person, a fallen angel. Now, I think there's a key, because you look in Greek, there's a past participle happening here, and it's translated out properly as fallen. This isn't something fell from heaven. I saw something falling. This is John. I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given, this is talking about Satan, a fallen angel that happened in past tense. The fallen angel, the worship leader of heaven, the rebellious one who was cast out of heaven, Satan. But in this moment, he's given the keys to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He's given the keys to open up the shaft, to unleash hell on earth. So you're seeing that this is this, these are things that are happening past. Satan falling from heaven. And this is also something happening in this vision. That this is going to be a future moment that's when hell is unleashed on earth. And so, but who has the authority here? God. 
Satan doesn't have the authority. He's fallen angel, demonic, wicked, like a lion trying to destroy and prowl and take out believers and hurt people. It has reigned over the earth to bring destruction, all that stuff. But he cannot unleash what's about to happen. Not until this trumpet is blown and he's given the key. So this gives us another window, another picture that God is sovereign over all of this. That say it's not a yin and yang, as some people try to believe. That there's this massive evil, this massive good, and there'll be this cataclysmic fight, and then we just hope by the skin of his teeth God wins. It's not what's happening here. God has complete authority over all of this. And in this moment, Satan is given the key. This is God saying, now's the time. You've been prowling and trying and doing all these things on the earth. Now's the time to unleash the great horde of locusts that's about to come. Now's the time for demons to reign freely on the earth out in the open. That's the one thing that also terrifies me about chapter 9. Is that if you understand the Bible, there's clearly spiritual warfare happening around us and about us all the time. That we don't see, that we don't have windows into, we don't see it clearly. Sometimes we get glimpses of it, sometimes we feel it, we can feel the oppression. We can, But this is all of that being peeled back, the curtain being pulled away, and we get to see this happen on the planet. That's horrific. Terrifying. So in this moment, the shaft is open, the smoke comes billowing out, and then what comes next are locusts. Then from the locusts, verse 3, sorry, from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. So from the smoke comes a multitude, a horde of locusts that have the power of scorpions on the earth. We'll see here in a minute. They sting like scorpions. But they're told, don't mess with the grass, which a giant horde of locusts, I mean, have you ever, there's a plague of locusts, they don't leave the grass alone, they destroy everything. So this clearly helps us to see that this isn't a natural occurrence of just bugs. So a couple weeks ago, or about a couple months ago, there was many reports out of the Middle East, I think in Saudi Arabia, there's this, hurt, this giant cloud of locusts that were swarming, and people are going, oh, I think that might be Revelation 9, it could be Revelation 9. And I'm going, uh, have you read the rest of nine? Those are bugs. What we're about to see are not bugs. They're demons. So, and I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. Um, because we're all still here, and this has not been five months of scorpion stings from a bug. But anyway, okay. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, this is where we get a little, some trickiness. Because if we take the beginning of Revelation, we start in 6, and we, if we believe in a rapture that's talked about in Paul's letters to, to the church in Thessalonica, that the believers will not be in the wrath, then who are these people? If these locusts are told to pour out and go after and sting and take care of everybody and, and cause pain and cause suffering, except don't touch the people of God. Well, these are the unraptured people of God, but there's a rapture, but I, I, this is why we have disagreements. This is why we don't really get it. Because if I believe in it, and I told you where I stand, I 
personally, of my own desire, want there to be a pre-tribulation rapture because I don't want to see this. I don't want to be a part of it. That's just me saying I think it'd be terrific if there's all of a sudden, boom, I'm in heaven. It's awesome. That's what I want because I'm selfish and I don't like to see other people in pain, and that's I want it for me. But the word's not clear on that. This gives argument to a mid-tribulation rapture, that this is going to happen, that people will not be touched, and then in the middle, this is a tribulation that comes. It's not going to help the people of God, that at some point, either in the middle of the tribulation or at the end of the tribulation, is when people, the people of God will be taken up to heaven. That the people of God will witness this. You can go buy lots of books on Amazon. You can go through my Logos Bible software, and you'll just have all kinds of opinions and differentiations. And I, At the end of the day, I want a rapture because I'm selfish and I'm, I'm weak, and I don't want to have to endure all of that. But if there isn't a rapture, I'm not going to deny Christ. I'm not going to walk away from my faith. I'm not going to deny the faith in the, the king that has saved me and has sustained me. I will trust that he'll sustain me through all of this. And also, the word says I don't have to deal with this one. But the shepherd, pastor, heart of me doesn't want to see anybody suffer. Because what you're about to see, this is five months of suffering that people can't die from. And to know that people all around are going to be suffering like this, I don't, I don't want to see it. But I can't give you a clear, I'm not going to mark a line in the sand and say, I'm not doing it. Um, but it seems that there's going to be people who are lovers of God who are going to be witness to this. Is this after the rapture? There's a time for people to repent. They come to faith. And then, then they're the ones who are left to see that the people, these new believers, after the rapture happens, they've come to faith. That's a great theory I've read too. I can't, I can't, put, I can't put my stamp on firm stamp on any of it. All I know is that when this pit opens, it is going to be hell on earth for those who don't know the Lord. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's going to be bad. How bad you ask? Well, let me read. Verse 5. This is where it gets kind of horror story-ish. They were allowed to torment them for five months. So these locusts out of the pits of hell were allowed to torment for five months. The typical life cycle of a locust. But not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. So this five-month cycle of swarming locusts that have the sting of a scorpion will inundate people who are not believers in God and they cannot die. That they will be in so much pain... They will wish to commit suicide, wish to die, wish to jump off a cliff, and all their efforts will not be allowed. They will not die. Now, if you watch comic books, or watch them, watch comic movies, read comic books, have been in some of the mystery stuff, and you'll see, like, everyone's like, I'd like to live forever. And about every movie that has someone that wants to live forever, there's some part of them that's like, this stinks. Seeing everybody live, like, they, they, with people, they die. I just want to die. I just want to die. And even... You know, the greatest immortal in Wolverine ever to exist in modern writing. Even the movie Logan, which is a really bad movie, but he wants to die in it, right? You get this whole thing going where it's, it's a constant theme. So these are people for five months are in so much pain, so much torment, they want to die. And they are not allowed to die. They're meant to suffer in that pain for five months. A little, little scary, isn't it? 
And in the midst of all this, we'll read later, that God is sovereign over all of this. That he's bringing torment to those who would be the tormentors. Like, think of someone, I'm not saying that everyone who doesn't believe in Jesus is a murderer, does horrible, awful things. But think of the litany of people who have. They're on the planet, they used to twist and manipulate and cause pain and inflict pain on others. And uh, and they're now having pain put upon them. They're crying out to die on the pain being given to them. And God won't allow it. They're sitting in their suffering. They're sitting in it. And then we get a description of what these things look like. And this is why you can't say that it's just a giant grasshopper. Um, Verse 7. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were that looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair was like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. I've stepped on some grasshoppers in my day. I've caught them and stuck hooks in them to fish with them before in my day. Um, None of them had lion's faces and human faces and teeth. And this is not like. So what can this be? These are demons. These are demons released from the pits of hell to cause torment upon those who would deny Christ. That in and of itself. That as soon as the key is open, there's a horde of demons. Like we talk about the spiritual warfare here on the planet. We talk about what happens. We talk about people being persuaded and influenced. And the weight of that, the weight of angels and demons and the fight. And they're, like that that's happening all around. And in this moment, the keys are unlocked and more exist in the pit that are released to come onto the earth. That's scary. It's really scary. So these locusts are terrifying. Um, I tried to find a picture of them. And if you Google this, if you just Google Revelation 9, locusts, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, there's like bugs with a lion head and then like, you know, a lion with a bug body, which is the same thing. And then you have like all this other stuff. And then you, you, it's, but the, what I picture, just because this is how I grew up in the 90s, I might kill a lot, the one light jig, um, is the scene from Aliens. The terrifying tales that will kill and like putting like, that scared me in a like I want to keep watching kind of way when I first saw this. I don't remember when they came out, but I'm sure yeah, I was young enough where my parents shouldn't have let me watch it, but I did. Um, but it was like that's I envisioned this like in the movie, like the swarm of the aliens coming after and, and wiping out everything. That's what I envisioned. Is out of this pit are these dark demonic coming swarming that I don't think it's literal um, lion's faces or human face. I don't, I don't know what it looks I just see disfigured, demonic, trying to hurt and destroy people and cause tremendous pain. They have a king. They have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it's a Apollyon. We'll just say that. Apollyon. Now, this is unique as well. In, in most of the scriptures, you don't have, there's only a few instances where you get the Hebrew and the Greek given to you at the same time. Um, some people try to say this is a king, uh, a different angel, this is some other rendition, we don't know, but given what we just read, this is just more names for Satan. 
that these names are given so that Hebrews and Greeks, as they read this, would both come to the same conclusion. Because when you translate out, if you have, like my Bible, this isn't a study Bible, but it has a little note. Abaddon means destruction. Apollyon means destroyer. That this king is set out to seek and destroy. And we have other parts where, of the New Testament where Satan is described as a lion that seeks to destroy. So this is John making connections across the scriptures to this moment. That Satan is king of this place. A place that he will eventually be cast into. But this place of darkness and, and demons and he's in charge of this. But he's still... He might be king of these. He, he might be orchestrating it. Go get them. Go do this. Do this. He's a general. He's, but he's minuscule in the kingdom of God. He couldn't do any of this until God gave him the key to open the pit. So this is like we think big, bad demon, Satan, destroy. He's die, right? And then here's God like, well, here's, here's your key. You got nothing. Here's your key. You only are allowed to do what I allow you to do. So go wreak havoc, but it's because I allow it. And don't you ever forget it. We'll see that play out in later Revelation as well. But so you have this king orchestrating, commanding, telling, like a general directing his troops. Go, 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 go. And in five months, this pain stops and something new is ushered in. But this king we're getting, Satan, is destruction. He seeks to destroy. Verse 12. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still to come. Really? Like, it, that's not bad enough? Five months of, of torment and pain, and, and then we get this eagle, this figurative The one woe is past. There's two more coming. Ugh. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the gate at the great river Euphrates. So the sixth angel blows a trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the angel, This is that altar we talked about last week. This is where the prayers of the saints are mixed with the incense of worship, rising up to God and helping to fuel judgment upon the earth. The evil is going to be crushed. And there's this great call to the sixth angel. Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, these angels being bound, what do you think they are? They're demons. We don't see anywhere in, in the Bible that angels are bound. That there's a, a group of handcuffed angels just going, oh, what am I supposed to do now, God? I don't... I can't go fight. I can't, there, we don't see that anywhere. So a bound angel is going, these are going to be four specific demons that are bound and they're, they're just like the pit with the key. They're not allowed to do what they were, they're meant to do, what God has called them to do, what they've been set aside, set apart for. Like they, God is using evil to judge evil. He doesn't create evil. Evil exists because of rebellion, because of the fall, but he will use it to his end. The stuff that comes at us is not given to us as judgment from God. There's a broken world, a broken way. There's, these are evils that exist in the world that God allows. I know that sounds nuanced, but it's 
infinitely important. So these four angels are bound. It says, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now this is where we start getting into armies from the, the east coming west and coming across the Euphrates. People talk about wars in the Middle East and these are all signs. And, and the great evil from the north or Russia coming down to the Middle East or then here in a second, the great evil from China coming across. And I, I think sometimes people have said, for, I mean, there, there's a whole theory when people believe this is these are all historical events that have happened, that what you're about to read are, is the Muslim hordes that have come across and took over Europe in the, like from up to 1066 when the great stop, you know, all this stuff, like all these things are coming across and happening, that the Saracens and how they're described, that these are Muslims coming across. I, no. I just, I mean, I get it because that's people trying to say this has all happened. I've not seen, or I can't find in recorded history, five months of everybody who's not a believer in Christ who was attacked by locusts and stung and they couldn't die and an army of 200 million strong rise up and come across the planet. I, maybe I had bad history professors in college. I've never read that. So I don't think that's what's happening because we would know this. We would know these things have happened. There'd be stories. Even, even if all these people are stung by locusts, there'd be people writing, the locusts got me again. I want to die. Personal journal entry, log, whatever day. We don't see that. We never see that. That's nowhere. There's, it's nothing. It's destruction of crops, destruction of grains, not this hurts. We don't see that. So again, I don't think we can, I don't think we can go there. I don't think we can, I don't think that's a possibility. And you'll see, like, this is why too. Like, look at what we're described here in 15. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. So if you do the math, which I didn't do this. This is in the commentary. I didn't even try. Um, this is 200 million strong. Mounted troops. 200 million strong mounted troops. That doesn't just happen. If you take all Axis and Allied forces of World War II combined, that's 70 million troops through the length of World War II. And in this instant, in this moment, the four angels are released and all of a sudden 200 million strong, an army pops up on horseback. And of course, if this is all symbolism, the horse could really be a tank. I get it. The diesel fuel doesn't just come out of the air. If this is really China, which was it five or six, I don't know, several years ago, it was reported they had an army 200 million strong. And it freaked out most of the Western world because we're like, oh man, that's, that's almost all population, the population of the United States. We're going to do 200 million strong army. But this isn't them. I can't buy it. So I'm not looking to China. Oh, the troops are moving. This is it. You're going to know. We just read all the way through 6, 7, and 8. Mountains are falling. Part of the sun's gone. That's a good sign that this is the end. Not the tanks are rolling. That's kind of silly. In this moment, we're going to see these angels prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year. were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, if you... Put this together what we see in Revelation 6-8. This is half the earth will be dead at the end of this. Half the earth is gone. Half. That's 50%. That's a lot. It's half. That this army, 200 million strong, and you can hear it coming from miles away, I would assume. 
this army is coming to kill. That in this moment, the, the key was released for the torment, and then the trumpet sounds, and the demons are allowed to wipe out half the planet. How they do it is also quite horrifying. Verse 17. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode with them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. That's pretty scary, don't you think? By these... Verse 18, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. I don't think we've invented the armored unit that has snake tails. This is demonic. This is from hell. And how do they kill? The breath from their noses, and the stings of the snake tails on the back. This isn't even a fight. This is 200 million strong, mounted, driving across the planet, and the poisonous smoke that comes from them is going to kill, and if you're close enough, the tails of the horses will be like venomous snakes that will bite and kill. That's why I can't... I mean, I, mean, I can be completely wrong, but I just... I can't fathom a human army that's going to have this. I mean, maybe now with genetic testing in the CRISPR, we can splice some poisonous snakes into the horsetail, but I just don't believe it. I don't see it. I think what we're meant to have John give us a picture of is complete and total demonic devastation, things that only fantasy movies are made of. That in this moment, we are going to be devastated by the evil that's been contained by God himself. That if he really unleashed evil, this is what happens. And I get, if you are a, if you're a believer in Christ that has any compassion at all in you, in your journey of faith, there has to have been a point in your life when you said, why God, why would you allow this to happen? There has to be a point in your faith where you say those things. And we're getting a picture that God doesn't allow a lot of bad things to happen. That we should be brought to our knees saying, thank you, God, for not allowing all this to happen. Now, again, it doesn't make it any easier in the middle of it. I'm not asking you to, don't go to someone in the hospital, like the people we prayed for with cancer. Don't you dare walk into the room and go, well, at least it's not a horse with a snake tail. If you do that, you should be thrown out of the room and never allowed to speak to that family again. You don't understand the power of your words and how evil that is to say to people. But we have to come to a conclusion through the scriptures that say that, yes, as bad as this world's been. I mean, think about how many have died in the last hundred years. World wars, holocausts, more wars, famines, like destruction, like all of that. And to know that that's just a minuscule part of what could be happening on this planet because of sin, because of the fall, because of rejecting God's love in the garden. Of saying, I got this figured out on my own. Thank you, Adam and Eve. That even though we could admit this is bad, 
There's bad things in this world. It pales in comparison to what could be if evil is really unleashed on this planet, if rebellion is really unleashed upon the earth. And so we get this picture of total destruction. I, I, grew, I know we have train tracks that go through Laramie, but it's not like the train tracks I grew up with. Um, in Vincent's, Indiana, they crisscross our city. There are literal moments where you can be stopped by the train three times in the same train attempt to get across town. It's like, oh, it's open. You keep driving. Ah, oh, it's closed again. Oh, it's open again. Ah, oh, like there's just, it's awful. And you can sit and listen to the train. Like, here it comes, here it comes. There's many times growing up, whether I was driving or riding with my parents, that you'd sit at the crossbar. You'd hear this giant side, the, the, the horn blast. It comes by, it rumbles across, it rumbles across. And there's this little, at the end, this little blinking light. It just kind of goes off into the distance. And the picture John's giving us of that is this 200 million strong army just coming across, just like that train that's on a track that can't be stopped. You can't stop this. You can't push it back. You hear it coming from a distance, and it will overwhelm. And then what's left in its track is the silence of death. That should cause the world to take notice, don't you think? What we're going to see is that's not what happens. Verse 20. After the five months of scorpion sing from, a, from locusts, from demons, after this death of half the planet by these sulfur-breathing horses with snake tails and poison and I mean, there's not even a fight. They just run through. And if you're not wiped out by the poison coming from their breath, you're stung by the tails. The agony of this. Verse 20. The rest of mankind who are not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual morality. Or their thefts. So we get this picture of five months of suffering for non believers, and then an army of 200 million strong going across the planet, killing half the planet. If anyone who isn't of half of the planet's gone, unbelievers are being wiped out by the billions. And yet, they still refuse to repent. I would like to think that if I had a five-month stretch, as a, I'm a believer, believe in Christ, believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, my faith and trust in him, and that as my, none, my, believe, my friends who aren't believers are being tormented and stung by scorpions, and they come to me and say, I just want to die, and I say, I can't even really help you, because you won't die anyway. But how about we talk about Jesus? How about we talk about repentance? How about refusing to repent? Five months of torment, half the planet dead, and those who don't profess a faith in Jesus in this moment are still going, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with that. I've got my false gods. I've got my idols. I've got things that were created. I've got the ways I believe. I don't want anything to do with your Jesus. It, it gives us, for a second time in the last three weeks, a window into the unrepentant heart. 
that torment, suffering, even death does not open people's eyes to the truth. There's a mystery of the calling of the Holy Spirit and the evangelism, the truth-telling of the believers. There's a, there's a mystery in this collision of God softening through His Spirit the hearts of people to come to a faith in Him, and then you and I's role in sharing that love and sharing that truth with people so they would come to a faith. But even then, they refused. And I, I again, if you are a compassionate Christian, a person who believes deeply in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but you also have a compassionate heart for the people around you who don't know him, you have to have had a moment in your life where you said, I really wish universalism was true. I really wish that that death on the cross would cover everybody. If you haven't had that thought, then you're a better Christian than me. Because if you love people deeply, as we're called to love, there has to have been a moment where you said, ah, just everybody be there. But I can't find that here. It's not here. So even though I would love for that to be the truth, it's not the truth. There have been denominations split. There have been churches blown up. There have been pastors walked away from their faith. There have been all kinds of people that have just walked away because they couldn't handle the judgment of God. And here's what I want you to hear. Have you seen in any part of 8 or 9 where people confronted with all of this wrath have said, I want Jesus. We're getting a picture of a continuation that when there's a rejection of God, a rejection of God, a rejection of God, pain, suffering, and death does not cause people to repent. I know people that have been in a fire and brimstone service and they're like, they got scared. I know a couple people that had that moment of crisis where it's a bad report from a doctor and it, it really helped them to go, I need to fix some things, I can do some stuff in my life, I need to, I've seen that. But typically what happens is coming alongside this moment, this event, is someone who shares the love and compassion of Christ. I don't know too many people that are converted to Christ, come to a loving faith in Jesus because they're scared. Now, I think sometimes that fear can be used by God, but what usually piggybacks on and actually does the work is the compassion of Christ. I mean, do you honestly think that if you went to someone that you love, someone that you care deeply for, you open up Revelation 9 and say, you won't be stung by scorpion locusts, do you? You don't want to be around when the horses come with dragon fire demon tails coming. You don't want that, do you? Well, here, let's, let's pray the sinner's prayer. Does that really work? I don't, maybe. I'm not saying it can't. I've just not seen that. What I have seen is people in the, the darkest of dark, the lowest of low, and someone comes to them and says, can I help? Can I be here for you? Can I show you this? Can I, can we read, can I walk with you in this? And then the opportunity to share the truth happens. And I'll give you the, the prime example in my life in the last year. Um, you guys have been around. Me, as a pastor of this church, have, have been front row seat to my struggles with my mom. That I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, she's known I've been a, a, a man of God since I was 17. It's been difficult. It's hard to talk to your parents about stuff like that. It just is. 
Um, sometimes I feel like very inadequate, like I walk into my mom's home and all of a sudden I'm not a 43-year-old, you know, pastor of a church. I'm like this 15-year-old kid, like, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. I don't want to hurt your feelings, mom. Like, I, I don't, it's, it's ridiculous. I need to grow up, right? But there's also this moment, I don't know if I have the words to say to her. I, I know her pain. I know what she's been through. I know, and through those times of pain, it's never been a place where she's received that kind of truth. It's never been a place where she's received that kind of encouragement. She had a, a five bypass surgery, and they, all, the, all the bypasses closed within four months of having it about 10 years ago. So they stented one and got her back going. And so she was always like, why has God done this to me? Why is this happening? I don't understand, right? Kind of bitter and angry. And, and so it's been hard to talk to her because she can be kind of a negative person. And so I get a little frustrated because I don't have the right words to say. I don't really know. I, I've, I've done some tough love stuff with her, but then that's not gone well. And I just, and then out of love, Amber, compelled by the Holy Spirit about nine months ago, just felt this overwhelming, I need to send your mom this book. She didn't ask my permission. She did it. She said, I, which I, it's not like I have to give her permission. But it's not how, like, she follows the, the, the push of the Holy Spirit. She tells me I'm sending this to your mom. I think it's going to be great. My mom gets it. And if I'm honest, I had this little skeptical moment of, yeah, that'll go on the shelf. Because I've given her a Bible before. I've given her a women's devotional before. And it hasn't really... I've not seen fruit from it. Amber sends it to her. I get a phone call like three days later. I love this thing. Thank you for sending it. Like, well, Let's be honest, Mom. It was Amber. Well, I know it was her, but thanks. And, and she, in the beginning, she was reading every day's devotion again. Like on the seventh day, she read all six and the seventh. And then it got too much. It was too much reading. So then she went back to just reading. And we had multiple conversations around that at Christmas this last time we were home. She wasn't as bitter. She still got some in there. But we had good conversations around faith and about God. And it wasn't all gloom and doom. And that came out of the compelling work of the Spirit into my wife to send to encourage her mother-in-law and my mom. Now, I could have went to Revelation 9 and said, well, you think heart disease is bad? How about some locusts singing you? Do you think that would have worked? No. I've tried. I've given her the Bible study. I've given her the women's devotion book. I've talked to her about things. We've had theological conversations on the phone. We've talked about pain and suffering. We've done all that. And what it took was the love of my wife for my, for my mom to send her a book with the knowledge that the Spirit had led this conversation, had led her to this book, had led her to send it, and there was going to be fruit from that. And there was. But I'm telling you, if, if horses killing with their breath will not cause repentance and change, then what will? If you look at the whole Old Testament, all of it, God said, he said, the poor prophet Jeremiah, over and over and over, don't make that decision, you did it anyway, don't do that, you did it anyway, guess what, exile, awesome, great for us all. Over and over and over again, God said, do it this way, don't do it this way, they did it anyway, over and over and over. So what changed the heart of man? An act of love on the cross. 
God himself stepping out of heaven to say, I got to show you in person. And I got to die for this sin because you are not going to do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. You need me. And so you and I thinking that we can argue, we can manipulate, we can show, we can, is not the answer. Scaring people to salvation is not a good evangelism tool. But your acts of love and care and kindness. I mean, look at the sins listed. This is, this is a rejection of the Ten Commandments. They repent of their murders, sorceries, which if you translate the word sorcery, it's pharmacon, which just means this could be drug-induced stupors, like looking for spiritual things in existential experience and all that kind of stuff. And you get sexual morality, which is the root word, porneia, which is anything outside of the marriage bond of a man and a woman. Is It leads to this. It's all this destruction. All this stuff happens. And then death. Like think in the middle of half the planet dying through this. People go, I bet you they got, looks like the Smiths over there all died. I think I might want that TV. Like in the midst of all of this happening, they don't repent from any of it. But what changes the heart of man is love, compassion. And if if you believe a fraction of chapter 9, you sit back and go, Revelation, I don't like this book. This is crazy. Locusts and horses. This is dumb. I might come back next week. I might not. I don't know. This stuff is crazy. Pray that if a fraction of this is exactly how John saw it, if a fraction of this is how it's going to happen, it should be a motivation for you in all love and compassion to talk to the people closest to you about the truth of Jesus. If you have that heart that we talked about that doesn't want to see people suffer or be in pain, the way out is Jesus. He's the only way out of this. Whether there's a rapture before it all happens or it's after it happens, we're free from this because of Christ. His message of love, change of heart. Not fear. Don't pander to that. Bill Mouse, a Greek scholar, um, I have his, we have two copies of his, like, it's not the idiot's guide to Greek, but it's along those lines. If you're interested in the Greek New Testament, how to read Greek and how to dig into it, we have a couple copies of his books. He kind of spells it out, this last two verses like this. Once the heart is set in its hostility toward God, not even the scourge of death will lead people to repentance. Like you would think when scorpions are biting and there's a cross on the building and everyone inside that building who's a believer in Christ isn't being stung by the locust scorpions, there would be people knocking on the door, hey, uh, hey, Christians. Let me in. Tell me about that Jesus. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. You would think that the 200 million strong army coming across, killing half the planet, that people would go, hey, Christians, like, I got my, I'm not going to say, I got my mask on. No jokes intended. Um, We're going to come in. Can we, she tell me about this Jesus guy. That doesn't happen. It's going to be us, you and I, going to these people and saying, I notice you've been struggling. I notice these things. I, I love you. I care about you. You need to hear about Jesus. I desperately don't want you to be around when this happens. And whether we're raptured or we're watching it unfold, 
you'll be free from pain and suffering only one way. He has a name. His name is Jesus. And he loves you so much that he stepped out of a perfect heaven to be with you as a 100% man, 100% God, the complete embodiment of how life is supposed to be on this earth. And he showed us how to live. He left us with his words. And then when he took off, his Holy Spirit descended as our helper so we know he's near, we can feel his presence, and he loves us, and we can have the energy and the motivation to do the things that he asks us to do because we can't do it on our own. And whether we die of a natural death here on earth or he comes back, we will be with him forever because of his work on the cross. Nothing that I did to deserve this happened. It's because he loves me and he loves you. Would you like to know more about that? Because here's my life before Jesus. Complete chaos and destruction in my past. And here's my life since. And you know me. You know how bad I was. You know what I struggled. You know what I dealt with. Haven't you seen a change in me? And it is a reoccurring joke in my family or in Vincent's Indiana. Hasn't happened in a couple years, but I remember the last Facebook message I got from a friend who asked me what Bible to get for his son. I didn't realize he was going to church. And in a couple exchanges through Facebook Messenger, he's like, well, I started going. He had some problems in his life, went through a divorce. And then he thought, I thought I'd ask you because if this Jesus if this Jesus stuff is real for you, it must be real for all of us. He knew me at the depths of my depravity. He knew me. And if you can use your testimony for others, you can rescue them from the scourge of locusts and the army coming to kill. That's what I get out of Revelation 9. I, there's parts of it I just take a step back and go, I don't get it, God. It sounds real bad. I'm thankful I love you, and I'm thank, thankful you love me, and I don't have to deal with this in my own life. I might have to witness it, but I don't have to suffer through it. And so then I take it as a fire burning in my soul to make sure that others don't go through this. And that's my prayer for you today. If you're visiting with us and you showed up on a Sunday, you've never been here before, you're like, Revelation, oh, great. Believe me, I've been thinking that about every week. And then I read it, and I'm like, oh, there's, there's, there's Jesus in this. There's hope in this. As much terror as there is, the hope is Jesus. It keeps pointing back to the cross every time I dig into it. That he's my hope, I'm not my hope, and I need him. And I pray that you know that too. And if you don't, there's lots of people here who would love to talk to you, would love to engage with you, like to share coffee and food and testimony. We're about to have a pig roasty luau. Great time to talk. Don't walk around thinking fear and destruction is coming your way. We have the answers of hope.